0: Coming up, a cookbook inspired by a special neighborhood in Rome,
1: a historical crime novel with fortune tellers,
0: plus our distraction of the week. I'm Mel.
1: I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time.
0: I'm very excited about a new cookbook called Portico Cooking and Feasting in Rome's Jewish Kitchen by Leah Koenig. She lives in Brooklyn and she is a Jewish food expert who's written seven cookbooks about Jewish cuisine. In this one, she's focused on the recipes of the oldest Jewish community in Europe, and that's the one found in Rome. She kind of presents the idea that because the residents of Rome's Jewish ghetto had to survive so many hardships, they developed a deep resiliency and a strong sense of community, all fed by delicious, comforting food.
1: That is not hard to imagine.
0: It's not. Early in the book, she describes Rome's Jewish neighborhood like this. Up and down the street, restaurants and shops serve up classic dishes from Roman Jewish cuisine, including sultry beef stew spooned over rigatoni, oil-drizzled tomatoes roasted to the point of collapse, rosemary-scented lamb and potatoes, and whole artichokes deep-fried into crisp salt-kiss blossoms.
1: That sounds like you've got the Jewish thing and the Italian thing walking hand in hand there. I know.
0: It sounds so good. Yeah. The one that really got me was the beef stew spooned over rigatoni. Same. Yes, please. (laughs) Immediately. Her writing is really solid, so this is a book to be read and to use in the kitchen. Tucked in between the 100-plus recipes, there are personal stories, snippets of Roman Jewish history, and helpful kitchen tips. And my favorite part is at the back of the book. There are menus to help you put the recipes together for special occasions, which always kind of makes me daydream about having some epic dinner party where I make, you know, six or eight dishes and feed people and it lasts for hours.
1: Yeah, and it looks like that scene in Fiddler on the Roof before the Cossacks show up.
0: Exactly. I want to try just about everything in the book, but a few recipes that caught my eye include silky marinated zucchini, Just the name. I like silky. That's thin ribbons of zucchini that are sautéed in olive oil, basil, garlic, and mint, and then marinated in the cooking oil. There's also spinach frittata with raisins and pine nuts, the braised beef stew that we already talked about, and lemony almond cake made with almond flour and sprinkled with confectioner sugar.
1: That sounds good. Mm -hmm.
0: The photos make the food look so good, you want to jump into the pages and eat everything. There are also stunning images of Roman architecture and like bustling food markets and real people on the streets of Rome who look like they would have the best gossip to share over a glass of wine and a little plate of something to nibble. If you want an armchair escape to a unique neighborhood in Italy, this book is a fun way to do it. It's Portico, Cooking and Feasting in Rome's Jewish Kitchen by Leah Koenig.
1: My book is The Square of Sevens by Laura Shepherd Robinson. Many of you will know whether this is your book with the very next sentence. I'm ready. The book is a historical fiction about an orphaned fortune teller named Red set in 18th century England. I'm in. Yeah. The story begins when Red is a small girl. Her mother is already dead and her father is dying. And before he goes, he leaves Red to a gentleman scholar. Her father also writes a document that explains a fortune telling technique. It's called the Square of Sevens. Red grows up as a lady in Bath, England. She occasionally reads cards to amuse her friends, but pretty soon she starts wondering about her own background. Who was her mother? And how did she die? Was mom really an aristocrat? And those questions lead her into trouble in the houses of power of Gothic London. Okay. Yeah. There's an author's note at the beginning of the novel that I love. It says, A complete guide to the method of fortune-telling, as well as a full list of the meaning of the cards, can be found in The Square of Sevens, an authoritative system of cardomancy by Robert Antrobus, 1740. <laughs> the first edition is extremely rare, but the second edition, edited by E. Arnaeus Stevenson, 1897, will meet the needs of any fledgling cardomancer.
0: <laughs> I like the word cardomancer
1: And the name Irenaeus? Yeah. Wow. I
0: also really perked up at Gentleman Scholar.
1: Yeah, <laughs> This book came out in England over the summer. The reviews there called it breathtaking and a sweeping Dickensian tour de force. It just came out in the States. It's The Square of Sevens by Laura Shepard Robinson. And now, our distraction of the week. The long list for the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction came out this week. This is an annual British Book Prize for the best nonfiction in the English language. The judging panel is a small, esteemed group of readers, and they're looking for great, true stories that are written for a general audience. There are 13 books on the long list, and I wanted to mention four to give you a sense of it. The first is David Grant's The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder. It tells a sea story from the 1700s. It's about two crews from the same shipwreck who landed in South America a few months apart. So there's a shipwreck, they separate, and then both of those crews come in at different times. Those two crews have competing stories about why they'd gotten shipwrecked and what happened on the island where they all took shelter. I mentioned this book in a Library of Lost Time episode back in April.
0: I thought it sounded familiar.
1: Yep. I suspect there's a German word for the pride I feel when someone else recommends a book I've also recommended. <laughs> if you know it, let us know.
0: It does kind of make you puff up your chest a little bit, little bit. doesn't
1: it? Yeah. little bit, yeah. There's a book on the list called Time's Echo, The Second World War, The Holocaust, and The Music of Remembrance. That's by Jeremy Eichler. He's the chief classical music critic for the Boston Globe. Right on. I was delighted to find out such a position still exists. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. The book is about how music can carry meaning forward from the past. Specifically, he writes about four composers who survived World War II and how you can hear their hopes and fears in the music they've left behind. The book is a history of World War II, a look at how societies deal with grief and a reminder that music can say things that English struggles to. That's Time's Echo by Jeremy Eichler. One of the other nominees is a book called The Song of the Cell, An Exploration of Medicine and the New Human by Siddhartha Mukherjee. This might be the most difficult of the books to sell to a general reader, but let me give it a shot. Cells are the building blocks of life. They are fascinating for many reasons, but one of the reasons is that they exist for themselves, but somehow come together to make all of us and everything that lives. Mm -hmm. We are, all of us, a cooperative experiment. This book is a friendly walk into cell science and a description of what the future of that field might bring. If you know someone who is suffering from cancer or autoimmune diseases or COVID, this book might bring you some more understanding about what's happening. The author, Siddhartha Mukherjee, is both an oncologist and a Pulitzer Prize winner.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's going to be a very rare combination.
1: <laughs> I would think. He knows what he's talking about, and he writes about it well. The book is called The Song of the Cell, An Exploration of Medicine and the New Human. The last book I wanted to mention is Ultra Processed People, The Science Behind Food That Isn't Food. It's by Chris Van Tullican. The author is also a doctor who is good with a story. Van Tolikin's day job is as an infectious diseases doctor at the Hospital for Tropical Diseases in London. In my head, he's house. (laughs) But this book is about the food we eat, where food might have air quotes. In the last 150 years, we've started eating things people did not eat before. Sure. These things tend to have at least one ingredient that you don't have in your kitchen and come wrapped in plastic, but a complete definition is complicated. Van Tulliken calls these ultra-processed foods, or UPF. If you live in the U.S. or the U.K. and you are an average eater, you get about 60% of your calories from these foods. Yikes. Yeah. And about a fifth of us get 80% of our calories from UPF.
0: That's a lot of ho-hos and Doritos.
1: Yeah. The data suggests that this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. It makes us more likely to have cancer, metabolic diseases, and mental illness. And the whole process jacks up our society and the world at large. This book takes a look at what we eat and how we eat it and what we can do about it. It's Ultra Processed People by Chris Van Tullican. All of these books are the works of smart people desperately trying to bring their passion for their work to a broader audience, and then a group of readers judged them to have done precisely that. There are seven more titles that are on that long list. The winner of the Bailey Gifford Prize will be announced on November 16th.
0: Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library to get the complete list of nominees for the Bailey Gifford Prize and to learn more about the books we discussed today.
1: Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself.
0: Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon.